Proverbs chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you. Proverbs chapter 11. <clears throat> it is well with my soul. That has become, uh, through the years, my favorite um, hymn. Um, I, I remember the first time that I heard that as a newborn uh, Christian. Um, what that song meant to my soul, and it still means just as much. Um, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. I'm going to sing that until he calls me home, and then if you have the privilege or the opportunity to attend my home-going service, you're going to hear that song then. That's one of my, the songs I've said. You're going to sing that at my funeral, and you can follow that up with Freebird if you want to, but we're going to sing. It'll be the strangest funeral you've ever been to, but... I got to make some Skinner in there somewhere with the, with the home-going service. Proverbs chapter 11. I started a sermon series last week, Vice and Virtue. And, um, and, and I'm going to take you to the passage that kind of got that thought process started. There's a lot of stuff uh, just going on in our world today that just um, uh, bothers, irritates, concerns, whatever words you want to use. A lot of stuff going on in our culture and in the church in general um, that has caused for us to be concerned. And um, I started thinking about, actually I was, I was headed toward this passage, but I started thinking about the basic roots of all sin and the basic roots of all unrighteousness. You know, there's all kind of sin. You can, we, can put our, we can put our fingers on a thousand things going on around us that are not right. We know they're not right. We know that it's sinful. Um, and you could make a list of sins and it'd be, you know, uh, a thousand points long, but... Essentially, all sins can be boiled down to a root, to a common root, as can all righteousness be boiled down to some very common roots. And so um, I, we started this series last week. I didn't intend when I was headed this way to make it a series, but as I began to study, the Lord just kind of opened it up. And um, with the church and the, and the culture being so full of, of um, some rotten fruits of sin, rather than just try to deal with all of those little individual sins, um, we need to get down to the roots of the problem. We need to get down to the, the source of those sins. Uh, the Catholic Church years ago put together a list of seven deadly sins and, um, and then seven cardinal virtues. And it's kind of the same thing, although I'm going to depart a little bit uh, from, from their particular list. Um, but if, you, if we get to the root of the problem, if we get to the vice that is in our hearts and root it out and replant those virtues of Christ in our life, then we defeat the fruit. When we change the root, we get good fruit. Um, the root is the problem, and that's where the fruit uh, comes from. Jesus, when he was being introduced by John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist said that the, that the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every, every tree that doesn't bring forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. You deal with the root. Um, Paul wrote in Romans, if the, if the root is holy, um, then the fruit is holy. If you make the fruit holy, then, uh, or the root holy, then the branches become holy. So we want to get to the basic roots of all vice, of all sin, and um, the basic roots of all righteousness or all virtue. Last week we talked about pride and humility. I'm not going to preach that sermon to you again. Um, but, but pride, I believe, is probably the root of all sin. At some, at some point, you can boil all sin back down to that basic premise of pride. Um, that we don't care what God said, that we don't care what God thinks, that we have a better way, a better knowledge, a better understanding. And that's, that, was the, that was what happened in the garden. 
Um, did God really say? And, and then the challenge, you won't die, you'll just become like God. And appealing to that sinful pride um, caused uh, mankind to fall into their sin. So pride is the basic root of all sin. Um, humility, I think, also may be the basic root of all righteousness, humbling ourselves before God. I'll give you a verse for that. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6 says, God resists the proud. That's actually a, um, it's a worded a little bit different than Proverbs, but I think it's Proverbs 3.34 um, that, that James is quoting. Um, um, God resists the proud. He stands against the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So pride is the root of all sin. Humility is the root of all virtue. And so all of this stuff that we're going to talk about, ultimately you can trace back to um, those two things. This week I'm just going to take you to the passage that got me started thinking about this whole series. And that's in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse number 24. I'm going to read it in the King James first and then I'm going to come back and read it in the New Living Translation um, because there's some words that we, um, that we don't use that much anymore that are, or have been misinterpreted today or interpreted a different way today. And I think reading it in both translations will help you get a clearer picture of these three verses. Verse 24 says, There is that that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul, just block politics out of your head and heart for a minute. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. Now let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. This, it, and I promise you it's saying the same thing. It's just using some modern English to say it. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells it in time of need. So those three verses cover both the subjects that I want to cover today as far as vice is concerned and as far as virtue is concerned. The vice is greed, and the virtue is generosity. You can see both of those things mentioned in those three verses. The vice is greed, and the virtue is generosity. Um, let's talk about the vice of greed. Let me do like I did last week, and I'm going to define greed first. By Webster's definition, greed is this. An excessive desire for getting or having. Desire for more than one needs or deserves. That's Webster's de definition. An excessive desire... For getting, for having a desire for more that, than one needs or deserves. Now, some synonyms of that word. In fact, I found these looking through. Um, I don't know if any of y'all own a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. It's a really good Bible to follow links in Scripture, to follow references out, because you can read about a subject and it'll tell you right where to find the next verse on that subject. But there's some synonyms of greed that are mentioned throughout the Scripture, and not all, you won't find these all mentioned uh, word for word, but the sentiments are there um, um, for, these for these synonyms. Some of, them you don't, some of them we don't use very much. Avarice, covetousness, lucre. More specifically on lucre, when you look in the Bible, um, the term often precedes it, filthy lucre. Lucre is just primarily money. Filthy money is the, is the word that the Scripture uses. Um, and I actually spelled that word wrong, I think, when I gave it to Zena. Um, no, I, I, maybe I got it right and I spelled it wrong in my notes. Um, parsimony, we don't use that. Parsimony. I want to say it, parsimony. It's, parsim it's parsimony. Let me tell you how I've been saying it. 
uh, parsinami, but that ain't it. It's the N and the M, I get them mixed up. We don't use that very often. Stingy is another word. There's a few other words, piggishness. I could have given you a whole list of synonyms of the word. But you get the idea. And the reason I gave you the synonym, none of those things are, are an admirable quality. Nobody wants to be called um, or, 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 or criticized for being guilty of any of those things. None of those words have a positive connotation uh, behind them. Um, none of them are favorable. But I'm afraid that greed has become so prevalent in our society that we don't even recognize it anymore. And we certainly don't see it as being exceedingly sinful. Um, interesting survey that I came across um, that's been done recently. The qu- you've seen this kind of stuff uh, on Facebook before. If people throw it out, what, what would you do for this amount of money? Well, the, uh, there was a legitimate survey done about what people would do for $10 million. What would they be willing to do? And there were some things um, on a list that they could check off. These are just the ones that stood out to me. For $10 million, 3% would put their children up for adoption. 16% would leave their spouse for good. 25% would abandon their family forever for $10 million. 23% would become a prostitute for a week for $10 million. This is what people in our culture say they'd be willing to do for 10. The list is, there's a long list. I'm not going to give you the whole list. Those are just some things that stood out. For $10 million, and, and you understand that that is the antithesis of what Jesus said, a man's life consists not of the abundance of the things that he possesses. But there are people in this world that believe if I could be rich, I could be happy. And I, you know, all you got to do is do a little bit of research and you'll find out some of the most miserable people in all of this world were those who, was, who were the wealthiest. Um, do some research on, on Howard Hughes. Do some research on some of the Rockefellers and how their life ended and what it took them to just by having enormous wealth. The Bible says, He that loveth silver won't be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth gold will not be satisfied with gold. You cannot fill that void in your heart with the things of this world. There's always been this huge danger in the scripture of loving God or loving money. You can't do both. Jesus said you'll love one, hate the other. You'll cling to one, despise the other. You cannot love God and money. So greed is a big deal. Um, We may not look at it as a big deal, but the Bible says that greed is a big deal. And just because it's prevalent in our culture and in our society doesn't make it right. Let Let me just read a couple of scriptures some pretty harsh things that the Bible has to say about greed, which is also known more frequently in the Bible as covetousness. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now listen, we focus on, you know, we don't have any problem preaching against fornication or... or, or um, any kind of sexual immorality, we'll zero in on that. But the Bible lists right alongside sexual immorality and uncleanness, covetousness. In fact, it went so far as to call a man who is covetous an idolater. It is an abomination. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Again, I'm going to read this from the New Living. But people who long, this is the important part of that, it's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have wealth. The wealthy people in the world are the people who are employing other folks 
It's not wrong. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation or trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So let's talk about some of the effects of greed in the lives of people. It's a thoroughly defiling sin. And I told you, you can trace all these sins back essentially to pride. Greed has as its root self-centeredness. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I need. It has as its root self-centeredness. And so uh, greed comes from self-centeredness. And where does self-centeredness come from? It comes from pride. So all these things are connected together. If you're greedy, it's because you're self-centered. If you're self-centered, it's because you're proud. So you're getting back down to the roots, to the basics of what uh, builds these rotten fruits on a tree. Well, there, there, I just found a few. There are more. Think about this verse. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, let's just go to the Scripture. What did the love of money cause people to do in Scripture? Um, the rotten fruit that it produces in their life. Lying. Ananias and Sapphira, in the early days of the church, and by the way, there was no requirement given whatsoever for the people to sell everything they had and bring it to the apostles. That was, that was something that people were choosing to do on their own. Um, they were sold out for the gospel. They were selling their property. They were laying it at the feet of the apostles and saying, distribute this to the poor. Well, these two, Ananias and Sapphira, came and, and claimed to be doing the same thing that everybody else was doing, and that is, um, that they had sold their property and they were bringing it to give and to redistribute to the poor. And Ananias and Sapphira were challenged by Peter and they said, Why did you come to bring your gift and lie to the Holy Ghost about what you're doing with it? They didn't bring it all. They kept the portion for themselves, which would not have been a bad thing, but they were willing to lie about what they were doing. And if you know the story behind them, they dropped dead. There was a purity of the church in place at that time. Hey, listen to me. If the church was as pure as it was in the day of Pentecost, a bunch of us wouldn't be walking out of this building this morning. They'd be dragging us out by the toes. Lying. Jesus was protecting the purity of his church, and that lying was because they loved money. And you think about what's happening today in our culture. There are people who profess to be born-again believers who love Jesus, who sing his praises, who teach Sunday school classes that don't have any problem falsifying a time card. It's lying. Don't have any problem filing a fraudulent insurance claim. These folks looking for a reason to sue somebody today, not because something legitimately bad happened to them, but because I just want to get rich quick. Embezzling funds. Lying. Another, another thing in Scripture, compromise. The Bible says that when, when the... And by the way, Lot and Abraham were wealthy. That God had already blessed them. The land got too small to hold both of them. And Abraham said, okay, you pick where you want to go. You, you choose the direction that you want to go, and I'll go the direction that's, that's left behind. The Bible said, Lot cast his eyes to the well-watered plains of Sodom. They knew the wickedness of Sodom. In fact, the New Testament said he vexed his righteous soul day by day because of the deeds of wickedness that were going on in Sodom. But he compromised. Do you know he lost, his, he, he lost his family in Sodom because he compromised his convictions about truth and righteousness 
in order to be wealthy. People today will abandon all their convictions for the sake of any chance at monetary gain. Biblical example in Sodom and Gomorrah. Betrayal. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver knowing that Jesus was a just man. He said that himself. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. I've seen families torn apart. I've seen friends separated. I've seen churches ripped apart over material possessions. The love of money. That's the effects of this vice of greed. Greed is one of those deals that's it's kind of like pride. It hides itself well when it's in our own life. It doesn't hide itself well when it's in other people's lives. We can see it in others, but we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. Greed is self-deceptive. We, we look at everybody else and say they're guilty of it, but we can't see it in our own hearts. It, it hides well, probably because the root of it, again, is pride. You don't have to be rich to be greedy. You can be poor and be greedy. I've seen, I've seen folks in both camps that were greedy. I've also seen people in both camps that were, that were generous. You can find poor and rich pursuing more than they need. So it's hard for us to self-detect it. But the truth of the matter is, is if, we, if we allow greed to run our life, greed will ruin our life. And just one last point on the effects. Because I really want you to think about how serious this is in the eyes of God. Greed is a violation of the first commandment and the tenth commandment. If you're guilty of greed, then you violated the beginning and the end of God's commandments. The first commandment says that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the, and the Bible makes it abundantly clear in a number of places that a man that is covetous or greedy is guilty of idolatry. A violation of the first commandment. The tenth commandment says thou shalt not covet. Not your neighbor's wife, not his house, not his car, not, his, not anything that your neighbor has are you to covet. So that greed is a violation of the commandments of God in every sense of the word. It is a, it is a sinful root in our life. Now there are two ways, I think. There, uh, actually, there are three, but I'm going to list. When, when you talk about getting rid of greed out of your life, when you talk about the cure for greed, actually I think there are two attitudes that we need to cultivate. Two attitudes that we need to work on in our life. And the first is contentment. Listen, we can use some of this in our culture today. What is contentment? It is learning the value of enough. Learning the value of enough. And I can tell you a good way to learn the value of enough is to recognize the difference between a need and a want. Just recognize the difference between a need and a want, and you can cultivate an attitude of contentment. If we, if we could really... I, I, this is one reason I think a mission trip would be, would be good for every professing Christian at some point in their life. Because if you could see the poverty that exists in other parts of the world... And then look at where we are as American Christians. We are so much better off than so much of the world that exists today. They would be content with far, 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 far less than the poorest of us have. 
Learn the value of enough. Let me give you some scripture. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You can be rich and happy, you can be poor and happy. And here's the thing. If you're poor and unhappy, if you get a lot of money, you're going to be poor and unhappy. If you're poor and unhappy and get a lot of money, you're going to be poor and unhappy still. If you're rich and unhappy, and you get poor, you're still going to be unhappy. This is an attitude that you cultivate from where you are, and it, and it, and it has to do with focusing on the things that matter, not the things that don't matter. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Raiment means clothing. Having food and clothing, let us be there with content. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have and the last part of that verse tells us where we can find our contentment and that is in knowing Christ as our personal savior for he has said I will never leave thee or forsake thee and and hand in hand with that Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 13 everybody knows what chapter what verse 13 says for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me you need to read what precedes that Paul said not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He found his contentment in his relationship with Christ. He said, whether you give me a bunch or whether I have a little, my life is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And I have learned how to be content with Christ. The second attitude we cultivate not only is con- not only contentment but gratitude. You know, I, if 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 greed flows out of self-centeredness and pride, then then gratitude flows out of humility. When we realize that we're more blessed than we deserve, that's when we become grateful. Now, I run into folks all the time, and I'm sure you do, when you say, how you doing? And they'll say, better than I deserve. You know that's true of every person in this room this morning. We doing better than we deserve. If we got, if we got what we deserved, <laughs> if we got what we deserved, we'd never be saved. If we got what we deserved, the wages of our sin is death. If we got what we deserve, the blessings of God would never come into any of our lives because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of His glory. There's none of us that's done righteous. No, not one. If we got what we deserved, there'd be no blessings to count. So gratitude comes, comes from that place where we realize, you know what, God, you've been good to me. I appreciate the song selections this morning. He's a good, good father. He's been so good to me. We talked about this Wednesday night. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he has been so, so good. I don't mean I ain't never had any hard times, but I can tell you this. When I really stop and pause and take a look at me and the way God has 
taken care of me and taken care of my family and preserved me and protected me, I'm grateful because I realize I don't deserve even the least of his blessings. Those two attitudes, contentment and gratitude, I believe are easier for us to latch a hold of when we give them a place to practice. You know, when you talk about cultivating an attitude in your heart and in your mind, sometimes that's hard for us to do unless we can physically put some feet on that and begin to act out of gratitude and begin to act out of a contented heart. And so here's the place where I believe the cure comes all the way home to the virtue where the vice of greed can be rooted out and the virtue of generosity can be replanted in its place. So those two things, contentment and humility, are attitudes, but there's an action that we can take part in that help us cultivate those in our heart. That is the virtue of generosity. Let me give you three reasons why we ought to be generous people. First of all, it follows the model of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't need any other reason than that because he's called us as Christians to be followed. If we're calling ourselves Christians, that means follower of Christ, right? No more generous man ever walked the face of the earth than the Lord Jesus Christ. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, for, and, and chapter 8 and verse 9 are all talking about encouraging the church at Corinth to practice the generosity of giving to those that are less fortunate. And he gave some illustrations of some folks in Macedonia that were giving out of their poverty to the, to the saints in Jerusalem who were suffering. And then he used Christ as an illustration. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. You can summarize the entire life of Christ in two words. He gave. He gave. And you, you can summarize the work of Christ like that today. He's still giving. Jesus Christ gave, He is giving, and He will give. Past, present, and future, Jesus gives. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's, he's giving Himself to strengthen us, to help us, to sustain us. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Generosity follows the model of Christ. It also guards us against greed. Now, I want you to listen very carefully because I think this is what the text that we were reading is talking about this morning. M money can't be a tool and an idol. Does that make sense? If it's a tool, it's a tool. It can't be a tool and an idol. I got some wonderful tools at my house that help me do some things a lot easier than I could without them. But them tools ain't idols. It's a tool. I recognize the purpose of it. It's to make my job a little bit easier. It's, it enables me to do what I've got to do in, an, in, a, in a more efficient manner. It can't be a tool and an idol at the same time. So we've got to recognize what money is. It's a tool. It's a tool. And it guards us when we, when we practice generosity. It, uh, generosity guards us against greed. How you keep from falling in love with money? Learn to give a little bit of it away. Now I know y'all ain't liking this this morning. <laughs> I ain't liking it myself. But it's what the Bible says. 
Learn to give a little bit of it away because then you're recognizing what it's for. It's a tool to be used, not an idol to be hoarded. First, you ain't got to take my word for it. Take his word for it. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, New Living Translation. Teach those that are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. Use their money to do good. What is that? It's a tool. Listen, this verse proves that God ain't against you having wealth. It ain't, he ain't against any of us having wealth. But he don't, he don't want wealth to have us. So we take our wealth and we use it as a tool to do good. Teach them to use it to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Cindy and I went and ate. With, I'm, I'm not going to mention any names, but Cindy and I went and ate with another couple who invited us out to supper a few weeks ago and insisted that they, that they pay for the meal we didn't eat very heavy. We, it, had, it was an early supper. We had eaten late lunch, and none of us were, were exceedingly hungry, so we ate a lot, kind of a light meal, and it was more about table fellowship than it was anything. And the bill came out, and the gentleman took it, and I knew what the, I knew what the bill was. Got a little glimpse of it, a little right around 60 bucks. And um, the guy said, you're going to be paying with cash or a card. And he said, I'm going to give you cash. And he pulled out a $100 bill and gave it to him. and said, I don't need any change. And after the waiter walked away, I was like, you realize you just gave that guy a $40 tip? And I thought maybe read the read the number wrong on the bill. He said, yeah, I know. Just a few minutes later, we both listened to a conversation where another guy who was waiting for a drink at the bar was very irate. I've been waiting for, he was sitting in the, in the lobby waiting for a drink. And he walked into the bar and said, I've been waiting on a drink for 15 minutes. Ain't nobody served me. And this same waiter apologized profusely, mixed the guy his drink, gave it to him, and said, that's on the house. I don't cost you anything. And he just said, we're short-handed. Everybody's short-handed. So when I asked, when I asked about you know, the $40 tip, he says, the guy is working, which says a lot about him in the environment that our culture is in. He did a good job. It, the truth of the matter is, is it helped him more than it hurt me. That's good stuff. It helped him more than it hurt me. Listen, I, that set something inside of me where I thought, you know what? Cindy and I went through Sonic the other day to get ice cream. Because I wanted to switch it up from DQ one time, all right? I don't typically give people tips at drive throughs but a lot of folks are confined to that kind of environment now. They're not serving tables. They're just taking folks' food to the curb or whatever. Tip them. Hey, I remember when I, I, remember when I bagged groceries as a teenager. <laughs> the wealthiest... One of the, I would say probably the wealthiest family in Charlotte. I'll be, better be careful saying this because some of them folks might be listening. They don't know who I'm talking about. 
She'd come in there and buy 10 buggy loads of groceries, and we'd, we'd, man, it'd take one of us to bag it and four of us to push it out, pulling and pushing. And she'd give me a dime. <laughs> I'm like, no, you need that worse than I do. You, take, you keep that. And then you see a family come up there with a, with a carload of youngins driving a car that's 15 years old and smoking and rattling and falling apart. And you roll her groceries out, and she tries to give you three or four dollars. Listen, that's back when minimum wage was three dollars and a quarter an hour. Eight hour a day, we made about twenty five bucks, less than thirty dollars. Them tips was a big deal for us. And I've seen the poorest be the most generous. I've seen the wealthiest be the stingiest. That's exactly what Proverbs chapter 11 is talking about. There are folks that scatter. They give, but they increase. And then there are folks that hold on. And it makes them poor. And you've got to take this kind of outside of a money context a little bit and realize there's a joy that comes from being a blessing. And it ain't a monetary blessing. It's just to know that you helped somebody and that it didn't really hurt you to do that because you gave out of your wealth to their poverty or you gave out of their, your poverty to their poverty, however you, however you want to look at that. It guards us against greed, and then the third point is simply this. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be cautious when I say this because I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. But it does bring the promise of a rich reward. It's one of those biblical paradoxes. You know, when the, like when the Bible says, if you want to live, then die. That the last are going to be first. And that the chief needs to be the servant. It's a biblical paradox. It's the same way with this idea of generosity. It brings the promise of a rich reward that a person can become wealthier by giving his wealth away. I want you to go read a couple of stories. If you've got time, to look them up. Um, Rockefeller, I think it was John D. There were several of those Rockefeller boys, but I think it was John D. Howard Hughes, by the way, um, I think was the world's first billionaire, if I ain't wrong. He had a pile of money worth several billion dollars. He died literally... In, Insane. Because they hoarded. Rockefeller was headed in the same direction. You can read these testimonies online. He was heading in the same direction. Until he realized the value of giving away. J.C. Penney, who was a Christian. By the, when, when, when he died, he was giving away 50%. Actually, I think it was more than that. He began by tithing, but then he gave more, and he gave more, and he gave more, because he didn't need anything. He didn't know anything that he needed, so he found a way to invest himself in the lives of others. And the more that he gave, the wealthier that he became. Now, I'm not, I'm not preaching this as a prosperity gospel, because I don't necessarily believe just because you give somebody, God's going to make you rich, monetarily speaking. And I'm going to say this out front. The worst thing that can happen to some people is that they become wealthy. I this is how I want to pray. Lord, don't, I don't want to be rich because I'll forget you. 
I don't want to be poor because I don't want to have to beg. Give me neither poverty. Don't, don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. Give me enough to sustain me, which is what Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. You might not become wealthier financially by giving away, but you'll become wealthier as a person by practicing generosity. Proverbs, we'll go back to our text again. There's, there is that that scattereth, but he increases. And there's that that holds on, but it lead, leads to poverty. The liberal soul, the one that gives freely, will be made fat. And he that waters will be watered also. But somebody that re refuses to, to sell corn, the people curse him. But when he gives it in a time of need, they bless him. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, that's an important verse right there. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God blesses you as you've been blessed. As you bless others, God blesses you with that same measure. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now I'm done. Let me tell you something. Somebody, Zion Hill, the last two years has been so incredibly blessed in a lot of different ways. I did, last year in March, when we already had that, we, we, we had voted in January to start the building renovations. Y'all remember all that? Pandemic hit. I sat with the deacons and we talked about what we were going to do, how things were going to play out. And I asked the question, I said, do we want to put the brakes on the renovation. And, and every one of them to the person said, no, nah, let's move forward. Well, not, no better time to renovate than when we ain't using it. But I said, I don't know what it's going to do to our financial picture, not meeting for church, not doing this. Zion Hill never missed a beat with their giving. I don't know if y'all remember this in a business meeting a few years ago when we paid off that family life center. We voted that at least 10% of our budget was going to go to outside giving. It's actually closer to 20%. If you consider our benevolent fund, which is for local needs and ministries, the children's homes that we support, the mission fields that we support, the counseling ministries that we support, um, the, 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 the House for Hope women thing um, over in Alma that we support. Um, there's several different local ministries and international missions and all, there's all kinds of stuff. If you look at our budget, about 20% of it is going to needs that are outside of this church. And a lot of it we, don't ever, we won't ever know. There's a, there is an orphanage in Nepal right now that is being primarily supported by the people of Zion Hill Church. So somebody said, why, why do you think John Hill's had two of the most prosperous years that we've ever had, financially speaking? I'll tell you why. Because Proverbs chapter 11 said, There's, there are those folks who scatter, 
but yet increase. And I, I believe this with all my heart. If we were to shut off that giving today, and I, I, this is where a lot of churches, I think, go wrong. When the crisis hits, the first thing that they cut out is all the outside giving. I'd rather cut my salary out. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather you not pay me another dime me go outside and get a job than I had cut off the external giving to this church. And I mean that in all sincerity. Because I think if God's going to continue to bless, we've got to continue to give. And, and, and the more faithful we are with what He blessed us with to be a blessing. Why did He, ble why did he bless Abraham? I blessed you so you'd be a blessing. I've given to you so you could give to others. And I think Zion Hill is living proof that you can do that as an individual. You can do that as a church. You can defeat the vice of greed by becoming generous. Listen, I, there are some churches out there that are sitting on huge nest eggs of money. I can name some names, but I ain't going to. Yeah, I'm, I can tell you what it's doing in the church. It's creating division. People are, are hoarding money, not invested in the work of the kingdom. When Jesus comes back, he ain't going to be impressed. I promise you, he won't be impressed with money sitting in the bank. There's a parable about a man that took the treasure that his master gave him and hid it. You know what Jesus called him? A wicked and slothful servant. Because you didn't invest, you didn't give. You didn't do what I called you to do. Now let me tell you something. When, when, when you talk about generosity, I know I've said a lot about money this morning. I think we've got we to gotta recognize that the love of stuff is one of the most dangerous traps for us that's out there. We can get sucked into it. We can get drawn in. And that become our focus. And the Bible tells us over and over, don't lay, up, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, but lay up treasures in heaven. But when you talk about generosity, it ain't just about your money. It's about giving yourself. It's about giving your time. It's about giving your efforts. It's about giving your talents, your gifts, your skills. Um, some of you folks know the Bellantes. Older retired couple. Two of the most pleasant people you've ever met in your life. Volunteer. I don't know how many hours of service they volunteered at the hospital. They get up early and stay late to walk around that hospital and smile and talk to people. Now they ain't got a lot of physical resources in their hand. They're not wealthy. They're living on a fixed income. But they've learned the value of generosity in giving themselves to others. You know what? When a lot of folks talk about retirement, I'm going to go find me somewhere sit down and do nothing. The Belanti said, I'm going to find me somewhere to serve Jesus. Free of charge. Their life is a living testimony of people that have found happiness in being generous. I'm going to leave you with this statement as our ushers or as our musicians come. I done took up the offering one time. I'm talking about money. The whole service won't talk. Take it up again. <laughs> hey, I'm going to lighten the mood just for a second, all right?
Timmy remembers we went over to a service one night. I didn't tell you where it's at. They, start, they started the service 30 minutes late, but they didn't have no ending time. I promise you that. They took it offering three times that night. They made me go sit up front because I was a preacher. And they go back in the back and count offering, come back in. Next thing I know, we're taking up the offering again. <laughs> and I, I don't tote a whole lot of cash on me. And I done, I, before that service over, I didn't gave it all away. Because every time that plate come by me, I felt compelled. And so I was cutting up with one of the deacons a week later. I said, son, y'all clean me out. He's like, you got to learn to get a little bit at a time. <laughs> I said, I don't understand that. Just give, go on and give all you're going to give at the first, and then we can do away with it. We don't got to take it up anymore. But I, he said, well, you learn next time. <laughs> you're right. I'm going to leave you with this statement. The greatest riches in this world are in those moments that we lay up treasures in the next. Let me tell you what Jesus said. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, you'll never lose that reward. It ain't about how much you give. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you've laid up a treasure in heaven that you'll never lose. I believe it was Jim Elliott's widow. Jim was killed by a tribe that he went to evangelize. It may have been Jim himself that said it. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. On the day you die, nothing that you've attained on this side will matter if you hadn't laid up treasures in heaven. If you have not been rich towards God and His kingdom. So live for those moments that you can lay up some treasures for eternity. Defeat the vice of greed by putting on the virtue of generosity. Whatever that looks like in your life. I'm not in the habit of going out and handing money to people indiscriminately. But I think we do need to look for ways to be generous as a church and as people with our time, our talent, and our treasures and watch God bless. Only place in Scripture you'll find God giving us the privilege of testing Him is in that area of finances. Bring the tithes in. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you can't contain it. That's what He said. Let's stand. Lord, um, it's never comfortable when we talk about money. But the reality is, as your word says, a whole bunch about it. And there's a big danger, even in the church, of us getting caught up in just greed. The straight out vice of greed. We see it in the world around us. It's very easy for us to see. 
in the world around us, but don't let it be part of who we are as your church. Thank you for your bountiful blessings. We have everything we need and a whole lot of what we want. I pray you'd help us to find the value in that great virtue of generosity. I know this hasn't been an evangelistic message, but Lord Jesus, if there's somebody here this morning who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, I'm going to take them back to that one verse that we read. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet he became poor. That he through his poverty might make us rich. That great grace that you poured out upon us by becoming a man, a servant, a sacrifice for us. It's made a way for us to be saved and have heaven as our eternal home. So God, if there's one here this morning doesn't know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, I pray they call upon him. Just lay their life down at his feet this morning. Surrender it all. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've gave. Thank you for all that you're giving. We're grateful that you hadn't stopped giving. May we be grateful. May we be humble.